0: Welcome to Episode 4 of the Inside Elections Podcast, where we analyze elections in a nonpartisan, data-driven, and accessible way. In this episode, how will the first presidential debate affect the Republican primary? Have Republicans finally found a candidate who can win a Nevada Senate race? Who's likely to be the newest member of Congress after a special election in Utah? And find out how much my Star Wars action figure collection is really worth. Buckle up. Hello, I'm Nathan Gonzalez, and I was born in California's 10th district.
1: Hey, everyone. I'm Erin Covey, and I was born in Texas's 20th district, which is in San Antonio, and it's currently represented by Joaquin Castro.
2: And I'm Jacob Rubashkin, and I was born in no congressional district uh, because since 1790, uh, Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia has lacked voting representation in the House and the Senate for that matter.
0: Well, we don't we don't take stances on policies, but that is something that I care passionately about, Jacob. That you you were disenfranchised, and the DC residents continue to be disenfranchised. Um, and I should have mentioned that California's tenth district is in the East Bay, in Northern California. It's represented by Mark DeSonia now. I think my parents lived in Antioch, a few miles away, which is in a different district. But uh, I was born in Northern California. With some summer vacations, we had a little bit longer time between episodes, but we're back. Before we get into our three big stories, what are some news developments we shouldn't miss?
1: Yeah, so we have some uh, Senate news in the Sunshine State. Former Congresswoman Debbie McCarcel Powell has announced she's running against Senator Rick Scott in 2024. She's someone who Democratic leaders have been trying to recruit for the past several months, um, and so this is a big get for them. Um, and Democrats have obviously struggled in Florida for the past couple of cycles. If you listen to this podcast, you're probably already aware of that. Um, but Scott is really only one of the few Republican senators who could be vulnerable in 2024. And so this race is definitely going to be on a lot of Democrats' radar.
0: And Aaron, what stood out to me is after she uh, Powell announced her candidacy, her emails uh, would say, you know, I'm running for Senate in Florida. Uh, or or something along that line, contrast that with Colin Allred, who we talked about is running as Ted Cruz. Every subject line was, I'm running against Ted Cruz. I'm running against <laughs> Ted Cruz. So we'll see what her fundraising looks like, but it's kind of a different tactic. She's not immediately demonizing uh, Sandra Rick Scott.
1: Well, not necessarily. I mean, her intro video does start with Scott, um, which I thought was notable. I mean, Allred's video did a similar thing where he kind of went on offense immediately and was contrasting himself with Cruz. Um, but I thought Powell's video was a lot more forceful kind of in its condemnation of Scott and the policies he supported. I think you're right, Nathan, I think his notoriety is not as dramatic as Cruz's, um, But he is still a fairly controversial figure, certainly in Florida politics. Jacob, what
0: should, uh, what's a don't miss
1: it?
2: Yeah, so we got a new poll out of Rhode Island's first congressional district where there's a special election to take place uh, this September to replace uh, Congressman David Cicilline, who resigned earlier this year. There's a really crowded Democratic primary there. Um, And and this poll that we got uh, shows a pretty different race than what we saw earlier in the summer. Uh, It was a global strategy group poll commissioned by Gabe Amo, who was one of the candidates in that Democratic primary. Uh, It found former state representative Aaron Regenberg uh, leading the pack with about 28%, followed by Amo with 19%. uh, And then the lieutenant governor, Sabina Matos, and state senator Sandra Cano uh, further back tied at 10%. Uh, Now, this is a change from what we've seen previously. Uh, in all the other publicized surveys out of this race uh, over the summer, Sabina Matos, lieutenant governor, was in the lead. Uh, but her campaign has hit some pretty serious headwinds uh, over a scandal uh, regarding the validity of a whole bunch of signatures she submitted uh, to get access to the ballot. So clearly that's taking a hit. Her image rating is Uh, severely diminished in this poll. And uh, it points to a different race in the closing weeks than what a lot of people were expecting at the beginning of the summer.
0: And the University of Minnesota hired Melissa Lopez Franson to be executive director of the government of government and community relations. That might sound random, but that's significant because she's talked about as a primary challenger to Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips. Who has called for uh, a primary to president joe biden uh, and he has uh, he, he has created some uh, angst or enemies maybe with that statement and there was a question about whether he would have a primary for even bringing that up but this is evidence that he isn't immediately vulnerable at home although Uh, taking this stance in the presidential race could hurt him in a future statewide bid, uh, among democratic donors who don't appreciate that he's not getting fully behind Biden in this, uh, in this important contest.
2: I don't know. I think we should pivot to, uh, just solely doing, you know, mid-level university hires uh, as, (laughs) as the focus of our podcast moving forward, you know, forget about politics. It's all about having a a niche, right? And that, that, that could be ours. News you
0: won't get anywhere else. The Inside Elections podcast is sponsored by George Washington University's Graduate School of Political Management, or GSPM. Uh, The GSPM program offers master's degrees in legislative affairs and political management with class schedules online and in-person designed for the working professional. Uh, As you know, the program is not just a sponsor, I'm also a graduate. And the Washington Post recently highlighted the work of GSPN alum Ivana Stark, champion of Minnesota to pass critical clean water legislation. Ivana got bipartisan help because a GSPM professor connected her to a colleague from across the aisle. So please click on the link in the chatter and check out what GSPM has to offer.
2: Tonight, the race for the White House takes flight. Welcome to the first debate of the 2024 presidential campaign live at Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee
0: let's dive into our top three stories. Eight Republican candidates took the stage in Milwaukee on Thursday night with one notable absence, that being Donald J. Trump. Uh, Candidates were looking to have their moment to break out from the rest of the pack.
1: So the obligatory question, Nathan, um, who do you think won this debate?
0: Uh, Aaron, I am going with Pres- former President Donald J. Trump. Uh, he wasn't on the stage, but I just have a hard time thinking about his supporters who have stuck with him through now four sets of indictments and then listening to what they heard for two hours on that stage and saying, I- I'm out. You know, I'm I'm walking away from Trump, and we have to remember that coming into this debate, Trump was the clear leader both in national polls and in the critical early state level polls. So he, uh, you know, he was he was brought up during the debate, and he was a topic of conversation. But there weren't there wasn't a ton of criticism heaped on him. Uh, And so I I just I think Trump was the winner. And this also, I'm not sure why this would compel Trump to participate in future debates unless the polling over the next couple of weeks shows that there was a fundamental change, uh, a, a fundamental change and that he has lost that he has lost support. Uh, but but I'm open to being wrong. What, what did you all think?
1: Yeah, I mean, it took them a full hour to actually talk substantially about Trump. I think he was mentioned in the context of federal spending by Nikki Haley before, but um, didn't have a lot of mentions until the moderators actually asked the question, would you support Trump as the Republican nominee if he's convicted by any of the various um, indictments that he's facing. And so yeah, it really seemed like no one was willing to go there, even the folks like Christie and Hutchinson, who have obviously been a lot more critical of him. um, They really seemed scared to take him on, even though it would have been easier in this context, because he's not there. And it's not like he can respond directly to these attacks. So I would have thought that maybe some folks would have gotten a little more forceful.
0: Yeah, and that that hand raising clip—would you support? There was like hands oh, down yeah. here, there was hands up here, there were so it was all—it was uh, you should met, We should we should have measured that. But Jacob, who, uh, uh, well, what what were your big takeaways?
2: Look, I think that Trump came in to this debate as the favorite to win the nomination, and he remains the favorite to win the nomination. Uh, nothing really happened last night that I think uh, upends the the. Basic formula of of this race, and if anything, uh, look, I think that the the candidate who obviously was the center of attention was Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, who has been rising in the polls, but has not necessarily been, uh, you know, one of the kind of quote unquote top contenders in this race. Previously, uh, he was the center of attention. He got the brunt of the attacks. He was standing at center stage uh, right next to Ron DeSantis. Um, I, I think that this debate ultimately is probably good for him, because it introduces him to a wider swath of uh, people a wider swath of voters he you know really w- was aggressive in going after the other republicans on the stage uh, in a way that almost was reminiscent uh at least in in substance of of how trump approached those early debates in 2015 i mean uh Ramaswamy got up there and said he was the only candidate who wasn't bought and paid for uh among the stage i mean i remember trump getting up there in 2015 and and saying the exact same thing saying you know i i've donate i've bought all of the politicians on this stage I I donated to this guy and I donated to this guy. And so I'm the one, you know, I'm telling you, you know, what the system is really like and how I can work outside of it. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that I, I think redounds to Trump's favor, though, is that this was not a particularly strong debate for uh, Ron DeSantis, who was honestly absent Uh, for for a lot of it. I think he spoke the fourth most. He was right in the middle in terms of speaking time, Uh, really took no incoming from any of the other candidates, didn't really take it to any of the other candidates either. and uh, Tim Scott, who I also think was was somewhat of a non-factor in terms of the the back and forths that this debate uh, generated, and and when looking at this primary, right, I, I would put those two as the two greatest threats to Trump overall, uh, the people who have the resources and and the starting position to to make a run for it, and the fact that neither of them were able to stand out. While well, you've got guys like Ramaswamy making a splash, Nikki Haley, I think, put it a good performance. Even Mike Pence was feistier. Uh, you know, you see where I'm going with this. You've got six or seven people kind of all in the mix, and then Trump forty points ahead of them. Um, that that's a recipe for a Trump victory.
0: So, Aaron, uh, who do you think who do you think was a winner or had a, a standout moment?
1: Yeah, I don't think there was a clear winner from this debate. Um, In terms of who probably had the most to gain, it's Ramaswamy, um, because he was able to dominate the stage so well and was the focus of a lot of the attacks, um, which could help and hurt him depending on the issue and depending on the audience. Um, But I think overall this was good for him and good for introducing him to a more national audience. Um, And then, you know, there were other folks that I think – put in strong performances. Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, um, I think probably both exceeded expectations. Definitely Pence, I think, who doesn't have a reputation necessarily for being the most um, aggressive or dominating (laughs) debater. Um, But yeah, and then the other folks who you would have expected to maybe have standout moments like Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis um, were not really huge factors in the debate, like Jacob said. Um, And Tim Scott, I think, spoke less than everyone except for Burgum and Hutchinson, who are the two governors who aren't really factors at all, and you would not expect them to take up a lot of space on the stage anyway. Um, So I did think that was odd. It seems like both Scott and DeSantis's campaigns believe that they're able to stay above the fray this way, and this will help them ultimately. But... um, I'm not sure. I I think there probably were opportunities where they could have jumped in and had more moments and they just didn't take them.
0: Uh, whenever i see pence kind of in that mode i think about the movie toy story where mr P- mrs potato head is helping mr potato head and, and she's like oh you might need your angry eyes and like pack up his angry eyes <laughs> in his back and like he, he gets ready um and i also pence feels like he is perfectly positioned to win the 2012 gop nomination like he just yeah. doesn't have the The charisma or the the energy that what I think the Republican primary voters are looking for looking for right now, Um, yeah. And and as you said, Ramaswamy, he was sort of viewed as an equal, right? I mean, he elevated himself to an equal. And what I'm interested to see is in these next few days and next couple of weeks, how does that? how do the voters digest it right cuz some a lot of candidates we all have heard candidates complain and they say well if only people knew more about me or or knew me then they would then i would be doing better it's like well sometimes yes that's true or sometimes as people hear more from someone they're like eh, that's not what i thought that's really not what i thought was was going on or that i don't really like that as much so we'll find out over the next couple of weeks so um, what else, you know, I guess, uh, here's my question to you two. Um, once we get now in the next few days, uh, what will be the bigger story, the debate or Trump's, uh, latest court appearance? What will be, what will be the dominant, what will be the dominant story? Take a guess. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was a too easy of a question. I mean, yeah. th- this is, this is the thing, right? Like it, it, it Trump is being, you know, on his way to Georgia right now, probably as we speak, you know, he's going to be booked. There's going to be a mugshot, right? I mean, that mugshot is going to be on the front page of every newspaper in America tomorrow. Uh, and the next debate isn't for more than another month. It's not till the 27th, uh, out in California. Um, so, no, I, I don't think that any of these candidates, uh, perhaps with the exception of Ramaswamy, who was unknown before and now is known, are going to see any sort of change from the status quo uh, of what the race looked like uh, prior prior to uh, the, the debate on Wednesday. I think the, the indictments are going to wash all of that out because uh, the indictments and the legal issues are a steady drip, drip, drip. The debates are single moments in time that are still pretty spread out.
1: Yeah, I agree with Jacob. I mean, there's no reason to think that this debate is going to take up any more space than the national conversation after today and this weekend's developments with Trump. Um, And I think that was why watching the debate was so weird at different points last night, because um, it really just felt like so many folks on stage were not acknowledging the election cycle that they're running in, and acting like it was 2012, um, and that they're not running against an opponent who has been indicted four different times um, and is going to be the front runner in the Republican race for the nomination unless these candidates start to dramatically change the way they've been campaigning.
0: Yeah, the thing to watch is... Um, you continue to watch with Trump is that the the press release that his campaign put out his advisor Chris Lasavita um, but right before the morning of the debate was saying Trump already won the debate because it's going to be all about him and then it went on for multiple more paragraphs when I read that it it's striking to me that Trump's message now is different than what it was in 2016 in 2016 it was more about uh, the make America great again but also I'm, I'm your voice I'm speaking you know uh, for you as the people. It was more of a populist message. Trump now, it's much more about him, right? It's about him and, the, and Jack Smith, the general, the special counsel and DOJ and uh, Fulton County. It's more about these personal grievances. It's not as much a populist message. So I'm interested to see whether that, uh, that disconnect or that difference in the message really starts to matter even going into the general election. But, uh, but let's move on. I wasn't born into power. I'm from small town America where duty and service still matter. After West Point, I served in Afghanistan where a Taliban bomb nearly killed me. After 30 surgeries, years of recovery. Turns out I'm hard to kill.
1: So you just heard Sam Brown, who is a Republican running for the 2024 Senate race in Nevada, who also ran in 2022. And that clip was actually from one of his campaign ads last cycle. Um, He's a Purple Heart recipient who has survived really severe burns from an IED in Afghanistan. So he's got a really compelling story. And a lot of Republicans were impressed by his run in 2022 because he was the clear underdog um, in that race, he was running against Adam Laxalt, who had endorsements from Trump and pretty much um, the backing of the full Republican establishment at that point. Um, but Brown was able to fundraise pretty well. And even though he lo- he did end up losing the primary by 20 points, um, a lot of Republicans kind of saw him as a potentially strong recruit in 2024. Um, so he's now backed by the NRSC, which is endorsing Republican Senate candidates this cycle and a change from last cycle. He's also backed by a couple of Republican senators. So he's in a much different position than last time around and is now pretty clearly the front runner in the Republican primary. But um, he does have some competition and things could get pretty messy.
2: So tell us about that conversation. Who else is in the mix here in this primary?
1: Yeah, so he has um, technically seven opponents in the Republican primary at this point, but only three potentially credible ones. Um, the list includes Jim Marchant, um, who ran for secretary of state in 2022. He's a former assemblyman who is probably best known nationally for being one of the strongest opponents of a lot of conspiracy theories around the 2020 election. Um, he's talked a lot about a foreign cabal controlling the voting machines and just like really fringe stuff um but he does have somewhat of a base of support in the state and is certainly going to be a factor and because he is the only one of these candidates who has actually won a statewide race um or in the in terms of the republican primary from the secretary of state race he's definitely going to be a factor and then you have um Jeff Gunter, who was the ambassador to Iceland in the Trump administration. He's also a longtime Republican donor. He's kind of an interesting character. His tenure um, as the ambassador to Iceland was marked by a lot of controversies. He tried to carry a gun when he was overseas. Um, He during the 2020 pandemic, he had gone back to California initially and had to be uh, reportedly asked by Pompeo to return to Iceland um, during the lockdown period. Um, and so I guess
0: depending on, depending on what part of California, like California, Iceland, I mean, I guess maybe <laughs> I see where he's coming from. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it, you know, but, um, so he's an interesting character. He, he's also fairly wealthy, obviously, because he has been a longtime Trump donor and could self fund a campaign. So he's definitely going to be a factor as well. He also has ties to Trump world and got an early endorsement from Lee Zeldin, um, And then you have Tony Grady, who's kind of the dark horse in this race. He ran for lieutenant governor last cycle um, and came in second place and won most of the rural counties in Nevada, actually. So I think he does have a little bit of some grassroots support that could potentially turn into something. But it's really too early to tell at this point. Um, Both Grady and Gunter announced their campaigns a couple of weeks ago. Sam Brown just announced his campaign a month ago. So it is really early right now. And it's not clear, I think, um, how much of a primary Brown is going to have on his hands. Um, All the Republicans who are supporting him will say that these other candidates are not factors, they're not going to be good fundraisers. Um, But you know, I don't think um, Sam Brown isn't exactly a well known quantity either. Um, Like he ran for the Republican primary nomination last cycle. But previous to that, he'd only run for a state house seat in Texas. Um, and lost the Republican primary for that, and so he's pretty untested as well. And it's not clear how competitive this primary is going to be.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking out loud on a podcast, which is an, which is a very smart thing to do. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but when you're thinking about Dave McCormick in Pennsylvania, who also lost the the 2022 primary, but Republicans are looking to him to uh, to win, you know, against Casey in the general election. So maybe there's a trend with these, you know, primary. Primary losers in 2022, you know, now vaulting up to 2024, top tier challenges. But uh, let's put this race in context of in the in the general election, right, that Democrat Republicans only need a net gain of two seats to get to the majority in the Senate. They can control the Senate with a gain of one seat and winning the White House because the vice president would break 50-50 ties. And Nevada is was a very close presidential state in 2020, Biden with a narrow win, but it seems to be outside of the just outside of the 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 circle of races that Republicans are most focused on. So Aaron, Aaron, put I guess put Nevada in the context of the the target list for the Republican Party. Yeah.
1: So to be clear, West Virginia, Montana, and Ohio remain the top targets for Republicans going into 2024, and they obviously have the best chance at winning these three states, which are all red states to varying degrees. Um, And then Nevada is kind of in the second tier of states, which includes Pennsylvania, maybe Wisconsin, maybe potentially Michigan, um, that are battleground presidential states and are going to be competitive at the presidential level and are likely to be competitive at the Senate level as well, Um, though it's a little less clear because the Republican fields in those states are less defined in Wisconsin and in Michigan, they don't have strong candidates yet. Um, In Pennsylvania, they don't either, though everyone is pretty confident that McCormick's going to get in the race at a certain point. So Nevada is like the only state in this bunch that actually has um, several candidates in the race. Um, And so I think, you know, we have this rated as tilt democratic. Um, Nevada tends to be better in presidential cycles for Democrats than in midterm cycles. But, you know, um, Nevada has featured close presidential and statewide races for the past several cycles. Um, A Republican hasn't won a Senate seat in Nevada since 2012, but they've come pretty close a couple of times. And this is going to be a competitive race, regardless of what happens in the Republican primary.
0: And and Aaron, you wrote, uh, you wrote the long story for the for inside elections for us for the newsletter, uh, most recently, Um, and but I'll I'll pose this question to both of you, Um, between Nevada and Pennsylvania, both again, both states that Biden won narrowly now have competitive US Senate races, where do you think Republicans have a better chance, Nevada or Pennsylvania?
1: It's a good question. I'm inclined to say Pennsylvania, just because there's less of a chance there will be a contentious Republican primary as is shaping up in Nevada. Um, And also because, I mean, you've actually had like Trump won in 2016, obviously. Um, They have had a Republican senator in more recent history with Toomey. Um, And 2022 was obviously a really good cycle for Democrats in the state. Um, But I think Pennsylvania is going to be a little bit, More competitive at the presidential level than Nevada, and so I think, I think currently Pennsylvania is probably the better target, um, but only by like a slight margin.
2: Slightly (laughs) tilted, Jacob. What do you think? I'm going to disagree. I'm going to disagree. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Nevada as uh, the better target for Republicans. I think uh, in my mind they're they're both going to be very close at the presidential level, uh, but. Um, the the difference maker for me at least is the the Democratic incumbent uh, Senator Bob Casey in Pennsylvania uh, he's uh, been there for a, a lot longer in terms of you know this is not his you know first reelection like it is uh, for Jackie Rosen he has a long history in the state obviously as a statewide elected official himself since the 90s but also his his father being a very well regarded uh, governor of the state as well. And I think, you know, we've seen Democrats put up massive victories in Pennsylvania in a way that uh, they haven't in Nevada, right? I think the ceiling for Democrats is a lot higher in Pennsylvania than it is in Nevada. and, and so there's just more room to maneuver. There's more room to work with, I think, for a Democrat running statewide in Pennsylvania. Uh, the, the margin for error is, is tighter in Nevada that we know it's going to have uh, these razor thin uh, races, no matter who the candidates are. Um, so I, I think that Republicans have their work cut out for them in, in both of these states uh, for, for slightly different reasons. But I, I would say Nevada is probably on balance a, a bit of a better opportunity.
0: A few weeks ago I saw Senator Casey. Well, I was walking down the street in my neighborhood and I saw someone who looked like Senator Casey, but he was fully the guy was fully decked out in Holy Cross gear. And I was like, did did Senator Casey go to Holy Cross? And so I looked it up quickly and 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 he did. I did not know my my Senator Casey history. Um, but uh it was it was interesting to see him a little bit out of out of his element, out out and about. But these both both of these races feel like races where if Biden you know, stays close or wins them, you know, Democrats are going to be in good shape. But if Biden stumbles, struggles, whether it's economically or questions about his age, that these races then start to become a little more, uh, even more vulnerable than what they are now because the, the, the Democratic incumbents won't have that strength from the top of the ticket. But, uh, But let's move on.
1: Bruce Huff, a conservative for Congress who will do something for Utah. I'm running for Congress because our problems are big. Celeste Malloy and I approve this message. We're blessed to live in a country where a girl like me can grow up in a single white trailer and become the Republican Party nominee for Congress.
0: And finally, Congress is set to add a new member of Congress this fall after a special election in Utah. Jacob, you've been covering this race for us, Uh, what's the lay of the land?
2: Yeah, so the second congressional district in Utah, which is in the uh, southwest corner of the state, so kind of uh, a bit of Salt Lake County, and then um, the the southwest corner of the state as well, uh, is currently represented by Republican Congressman Chris Stewart. Uh, He's been there for about a decade, but he is resigning uh, this fall to take care of his ailing wife. Uh, there is a special election to uh, select his replacement um, that's happening on September 13th, the Republican primary, which is the the main contest in this uh, very Republican district. Uh, The the election features three candidates. Uh, You've got a former staffer from Stewart's office named Celeste Malloy, uh, former uh, chairman of the Utah State Republican Party, Bruce Huff, and then a former uh, state representative, Uh, named Becky Edwards are the three uh, candidates on the ballot. There initially were 11 candidates seeking the Republican nomination, eight of them uh, did not make it past Utah's uh, nominating convention stage of the process, uh, which is the first step uh, of the primary process in the beehive state.
1: Right, right. It's always confusing to me. Um, Is there a clear front runner among these three?
2: So to the extent that there's a front runner here or a candidate with some momentum, it's probably Celeste Malloy, the former staffer for Chris Stewart. She won an upset victory at the Utah Second District Nominating Convention. Uh, Now in Utah, there are two ways to get on the primary ballot. You can either submit signatures, and get on the ballot that way. Or you can go through the convention process uh, where groups of party leaders select their nominee uh, in, in a closed room meeting over a course of many rounds. Now, uh, in, in this case, Malloy won that nominating convention in a bit of an upset. The front runner heading in was probably former state house speaker, Greg Hughes. Uh, but in the seventh or eighth round, uh, Malloy beat Hughes. She was boosted by an endorsement from the outgoing Congressman Stewart. Uh, and, and so she got the imprimatur of the uh, p- state party heading out of that convention. Uh, she's also the only candidate who's currently up on TV. Uh, however, uh, she has faced some headwinds There was uh, some reporting in the Salt Lake Tribune about her residency. She only very recently moved back to Utah from Virginia, uh, where she was living while she was working uh, for the congressman, and she has not voted in uh, Utah elections for for quite some time. And so uh, those have given her opponents a a line of attack to use against her.
0: So do we know what kind of member either Malloy or Huff might be
2: you know when, the, when one of them gets to Congress? Well, there's not a lot of ideological uh, dis- difference between the two of them. Uh, really, the, the main uh, fault line there is actually geographic. Uh, Malloy comes from a more rural part of the district, uh, while Huff comes from Salt Lake County. Um, and that was a major point of contention in the convention as well, getting a, a more geographically representative representative of, of this seat in, in Congress. Uh, but there are a few places where the two of them differ. Um, on abortion, for instance, uh, Malloy has said that she would vote for a federal abortion ban if one came up in Congress. Well, Huff has been pretty clear. Uh, he believes that's an issue solely for the states. Um, on, on the question of Trump, uh, you know Utah is a fairly Trump skeptical state as far as Republican states go. Uh, Huff made a point of of noting that he had voted for Trump in twenty sixteen and twenty twenty, uh, whereas Malloy had not because she she wasn't actually even voting in Utah. Um, but uh, the the most pro Trump candidate. Uh, would have been Greg Hughes, the former State House Speaker, who was Trump's main surrogate in Utah uh, since the 2016 election. And he, of course, didn't even make it out of the convention.
0: And are we sure or how (laughs) when we get to the general election, the primary is the most important. But we've seen in some uh, special elections, not at the congressional level, but at the legislative level, we've seen Democrats overperform. How likely is this to maybe get interesting in the general election for
2: for this special if in terms of Democrats having any chance of winning? At the moment, it's not really on anyone's radar. Uh, The uh, Utah state legislature was fairly aggressive in how they redrew the state's four congressional districts coming out of the 2020 census. Uh, There used to be one pretty competitive seat uh, based in Salt Lake City, the fourth district, uh, and then three very Republican seats. And what the Republicans in the state legislature did was they unpacked Salt Lake City. Uh, So they, they put Portions of Salt Lake in all four congressional districts, uh, making all of them fairly solid Republican seats. Now, uh, Trump would have won the uh, second district by about 17 points, 57 to 40. Uh, Congressman Chris Stewart put in a slightly stronger performance, uh, got above 60% uh, in his reelection in 2022. So it's unlikely that a Democrat uh, could win this seat. There's a state senator, uh, Kathleen Reeb, I believe is her name, who's the Democratic nominee here. Uh, however, you know, we have seen uh, somewhat significant democratic overperformances in special elections, uh, in other places across the country and in uh, a lot of state legislative seats and other uh, races that have come open since the 2022 midterm. So it's not out of the uh, realm of possibility that a Democrat could overperform what we might expect out of this district uh, in in the special election. But uh, for a Democrat to actually win here would be quite a shock. And
0: my most important question isn't Huff related somehow to the Dancing with the Stars, the Huffs, uh, Julianne Huff? Maybe I'm maybe I'm making this up. We, I, we, I don't know if you. Uh... If someone could fact check me on this, but this would be this would be groundbreaking if he can bring the Dancing with the Stars vote uh, to this very critical primary. I, I don't. I don't think people should leave it in the comments or uh, <laughs> e- email us uh, because I, I'm. I think there. I think there's something there. But um, but let's but let's move on. <music> and finally, our last segment. Look what I found. Uh, where we highlight something new something we stumbled across it could be political sports music or something else entirely really you never know what you're going to get with this part of the pod jacob what'd you find
2: So this past weekend, I went to the DC Public Library uh, to check out an exhibit that was closing of uh, architectural and engineering sketches uh, by Leonardo da Vinci uh, that were on loan to the DC Public Library from their home in Milan, Italy, uh, for for a couple of weeks over this summer. And while I was waiting for my time uh, to go down and actually look at the sketches, I uh, took a look at the the books in the library, and I found a a great short book uh, called A Murder of Quality, by John Le Carre, uh, who's a, was a famous spy novelist. Um, it, it's a short book, and it details the investigation into a, a murder that takes place at a fancy British prep school. If you like, uh, you know, the Secret History by Donna Tart or uh, you know any of these books that uh, the Secret Place by Tana French uh, that take place uh, in in these uh, fancy uh, European schools uh, that that get plagued with murders. Uh, it's an interesting book and I, you know, highly recommend it. It's a quick read.
0: And I continue to be impressed by the DC public library's programming because they have what what you were talking about. And then I think they were doing summer concerts on the roof, uh, where even some of the local, some local DC punk bands were playing. And so I'm, I'm impressed DC public library, uh, bringing, bringing the goods. Wow. But Aaron, what'd you find?
1: Yeah. So I've been flying a lot recently. Um, and that's always fun because you can watch movies that you haven't found or maybe haven't like put in the time to watch. But um, I was like scrolling through the library and I saw this movie called The Starling Girl, which I remembered hearing about several months ago because it had Eliza Scanlon in it, who is this really good actress. She's been in Sharp Objects and Little Women Um um, but it was really good. It was basically about a really insular fundamentalist Christian community in Kentucky. Um, and Eliza Scanlon plays a teenage girl who um, has a series of like really complicated experiences with it. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but it was really interesting, really well done. I would definitely recommend it.
0: Erin, I found remarkable as I've been flying where I flew the boys out here to Oregon, how many movies that I don't want to watch. <laughs> so I'm glad that you found one that you that you wanted to watch and liked. I'm like, how is it possible that I don't want to watch all of these movies? But that just might make me, that might make me old. Um, speaking of making me old, what I found is that my entire collection of Star Wars Episode I action figures from 1999 is worth precisely at least. I I mean, I spent hundreds of dollars in college on these action figures. I thought they were going to pay for my kids' college. I took them into a game store because my parents, I think, are a little bit tired of me, of them living in their garage. And uh, the game store said, We'll give you $29.99, which is about 25 cents per action figure. (laughs) So I now realize that what they are worth is that my boys will get to. Play with them. So maybe instead of uh, some sort of financial investment, it was just that I had the foresight that I would have three sons that would want to play with these 25 years, (laughs) 25 years later. So, anyway, if you have any of those collections, don't be thinking about college uh, funding any college funds. And that's all the time we have. Uh, We got smarter about the impact of the first Republican presidential debate, the challenges facing Republicans in the Nevada Senate race, and learned about who might be coming to Congress later this fall. Thank you for joining us. Uh, At Inside Elections, we provide nonpartisan analysis of congressional, presidential, and gubernatorial races With a combination of reporting and data, we break down the key races and bring valuable context to complex elections. Go to InsideElections.com to subscribe to the bi-weekly newsletter. We've got individual subscriptions as well as group packages that are tailored for either corporate or association packs. In case you're not familiar uh, with how podcasts work, if you like them, please subscribe. Please click the thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Leave a comment. Do all the things that will help other people find this podcast. Uh, if you didn't like today's episode, please email George Lucas. Uh, we also want to thank our producers, Alan Tosinski and Melissa Lenner of Pretty Easy Podcasts, and our associate producer, Conrad Tolosa. Please come back and join us next time.